Welcome back, listeners. Thank you for joining us tonight in the Creepypasta Book Club, the podcast where we read, analyze, and discuss significant creepypastas, no sleeps, and web horror flash fiction. We are your hosts, Jonah and Wednesday. And today, we continue Tales from the Gas Station. To clarify, we are reading Murder at the Gas Station, Death at the Gas Station, and Halloween at the Gas Station. But first, this week's Community Spotlight comes to you slipped beneath the clubroom door on the back of a postcard depicting three children running in a field, their backs to the viewer, with text reading, Your worth does not inhere in your flesh, but it could. On the back, the corner subtly embossed with the logo of the mysterious SCP Foundation, it reads, Come one, come all, to the circle of meat, a spiritual resource for ancient wisdom in the modern age. Pleotris Megistus is putting her hard-earned knowledge on the internet for budding Nalcan. And here the word cultists appears to have been scratched out. The missive continues, Believers everywhere. This often reclusive faith is actually available to everyone. Rejoice in making your body whatever it wants to be. The site is still expanding, so check back regularly. You'll love Pleo's useful tips for surviving your initiation. Well, listeners, having been to the site and begun my own initiation, I can say they are a lovely and inviting bunch. Be sure to follow Pleo's path to enlightenment by going to circleofmeat.tk. Links, of course, are in the description. Murder at the Gas Station The gas station's night shift has taken the sanity and even lives of many of their part-timers, so they promote Jack to night shift manager. One night, he's visited by a crow. It taps at the door until he comes and opens it, and it swoops inside to sell him on multi-level marketing schemes. It screams too loud for him to call the cops, until he tells the crow that these are all scams, upon which it quiets down completely. The crow confesses that the pyramid scheme thing was just to test Jack, and actually what he wants is a favor. He wants Jack to kill a cat that his crow girlfriend likes, and in exchange, he will kill someone for Jack. Jack agrees in order to get the crow to go away, and the crow tells him the cat's name, J.P. Maroney, who works at the high school. He is, of course, actually a human. Suddenly, someone comes in to rob the place, and the crow dukes it out with him. The robber gets the upper hand after the crow takes his eye out, and the crow begins screaming for backup. A wall of crows pick the man to pieces, but not in time to save the crow, who dies of his wounds. Death at the gas station. Something is bothering Jack, but he can't figure out what. His hallucinations have been getting worse. Bo's remains have been found, and Jack is finally wearing a prosthetic leg and out of his crutches. His body never healed that old broken leg correctly, so eventually they had to amputate. He sits there eating his sandwich, trying to figure out why something feels wrong, and he realizes he didn't make this sandwich. He traps the sandwich in the back room, and when he comes back out, the Grim Reaper is standing in the gas station, claiming that Jack's time is up. On the other side, everyone who has ever died is waiting for Jack. Tom, Carlos, Vanessa, and all the rest. Except, Jack corrects, Carlos isn't dead. Suddenly, O'Brien peels into the parking lot and corners the fake Death, who is trying to hurt a still-oblivious Jack into his van. Death charges O'Brien and is tased, and it turns out this is just a fan of the blog who wants to kidnap and do sex crimes on Jack. Halloween. 
Some time has passed, and Jack now appears to be the owner of the gas station after the mysterious deaths of the prior owners, and he has dedicated himself to the safety of gas station employees, to varying levels of success. He's come up with a series of codes to handle situations at the gas station, and tonight, when a strange bug appears, they announce a code green. They duct tape the doors and windows, sealing off any cracks they can find, with themselves and their current customer, Mr. Abrams, inside. As they shut off the lights and prep the store for lockdown, Jack is surprised by a girl in a fox costume. They calm her down and explain. Every five years, the mayfly swarm descends. They fill the sky, choking the air, and any person dumb enough to go outside. A guy called Bart walks out of the bathroom and makes it to the door before Jerry tackles him down. They confiscate Bart's phone. The mayflies are attracted to white light. The tornado sirens go off. Animals stampede from the woods to escape the oncoming swarm. The bugs flood the air, impenetrable. Then the hand slams on the door, and a voice begs for them to let them in. They allow the figure to come inside, and bugs fly in after her, chasing the light she's carrying. Another person comes in after her, as well as four raccoons. The newcomers are a woman in a unicorn mask, Yen, and a hot rich guy in his fifties, Owen. They're from out of town, and were on their way to two different parties when they crashed due to the swarm. Everyone hunkers down, and Jerry pulls Jack aside to confide in him that Abrams doesn't seem right. He's not Abrams anymore. Owen gets bit by a raccoon and pulls out a gun that he starts waving around. He takes Jack's flashlight and sulks over by the drink case. Jack calls O'Brien, now Amy to him, and now the sheriff. But over where she is, the swarm isn't even happening. She's enjoying herself at a Halloween party and doesn't even believe him. Jack looks around to start raccoon hunting, but can't find Jerry, Bart, or Abram. Jack finds Jerry sitting in the supply closet, insanely chilled out, but then outside, screaming and fighting starts. Yen is on the ground, with Owen pointing his gun at her. She tried to get into the bathroom, but found Abram, dead, a knife protruding from his chest. Owen herds everyone out to the front to keep an eye on them, and try to play detective. He lets Yen call the cops, but the phones are dead, the line cut. Jerry comes under suspicion because he's a maniac, but Jack tries to advocate for him. He's sure he didn't kill Abram. There's a crash from the bathroom, and Owen uses Jack as a meat shield as he goes to investigate. The raccoons are making a mess, and Abram's body is gone. The raccoons rush them, and in the panic, Owen shoots wild, hitting Bart. Owen babbles racistly while Yen helps patch Bart up, but Owen won't let anyone leave to go for help. Sajiri suggests he put him and Jack in the cooler and lock them in while they call for assistance on the CB radio, a shockingly reasonable plan for Jerry. This is the best they can do for now, because there's no way Bart is going to make it, but at least they can stop Owen from shooting anyone else. Something scrapes around in the cooler, and Jack uses Bart's cell phone to light it up. There's Abram in a unicorn mask, covered in blood, with a knife in his chest. Dead Abram cuts himself open, stem to stern, and he is chock full of mayfly larvae. Jack uses the bug spray and lighter to fireball the bugs, but Abram is infuriated by this move and hacks up a weird green millipede thing, seemingly a queen mayfly. She attacks, and though Jack dodges, she manages to land on Jerry, crawling up his chest and down his throat. Jerry starts cackling and mocking the bug, which has found his insides not quite to her liking. He pukes the bug up, along with a bunch of blood, but the bug quickly rebounds and goes for Jack instead. She manages to slide down his throat, and suddenly the voice of the bug takes over and battles with Jack for control. Jerry gives him his flask, and Jack knocks it back. He pukes up the Mayfly Queen, and he grabs onto some of her memories as she goes. She finds a human host and lays dormant for five years, laying millions of babies before killing the host and erupting and finding a new one. This is what she has done for millions of years, and it's what she's about to do now. Yen opens the door, unwittingly letting her out. 
Yen patches up Jack and Jerry, and Owen has been disarmed and zip-tied to the drink machine. Jack decides it's time to break out the Code Black kit. He locks up all the weapons aside from the katana, which he allows Jerry to keep. Yen screams, alerting them to the fact that Bart has been taken over, and his dead body is standing and walking around. Jerry and Lucy attempt to fight it ineffectively, and Bart shatters the door with Jerry's katana, allowing bugs to swarm inside. Jack, Jerry, Yen, and Lucy make it to the supply closet, where Jack finds the code blue flashlight, which he clicks on and tosses out, freeing them from the bugs. Jack begins acid trip dissociating the same way that Jerry was doing earlier, because surprise, Jerry's secret cocktail that scares off the bug queen is heavy hallucinogens. Apparently, ayahuasca is an ancient remedy for parasites. Owen begins banging on the door, begging to be let in, but Jack can see the monstrous dark aura of whatever is outside. Yen lets him in anyway, and Owen immediately chokeslams her, his body writhing with bugs. He tries to squirt the parasite from his mouth into hers, but there's no time for that because Jack is tripping like fucking hell. He approaches the bonfire and chats with a green elf surfboard man who is there to be his spirit guide. The green man suddenly collapses, stabbed by a vision of Abram, leaving the two of them stranded at the bonfire in the spirit world. Eventually, Jack realizes that the only way to kill the queen is by starving her of any viable hosts. Yen and Lucy have to die. He wakes back up in the real world, wrapped up in a tarp, the closet empty. He goes for the code red box, and inside is a fucking hand grenade. He wanders out, and the gas station is a hellscape of green bugs, and Yen, possessed by the queen, sits on a writhing throne. Jerry backs up Abram's garbage truck through the gas station wall, and Jack starts lobbing balls of crushed bug at her head to get her attention. While she's distracted, Jerry dumps the mass of dead animals from the garbage truck into the gas station, burying Yen's body in them while Jack makes his escape. Yen, body broken, climbs out from under the trash pile, and the queen bursts from her chest to chase Jack and Lucy into the cooler. They trap her inside before Jack lobs the grenade into the cooler. Afterwards, as they catch their breath, Jack debates whether or not to follow through and kill Lucy to truly end the cycle. Agents descend for the cleanup. Jack couldn't go through with it. In five years' time, they'll find out if he was right. Jerry, Lucy, and Jack are about to go back to Jerry's place and get wizard high, when off in the distance, Jack sees the furious green aura of a raccoon. So what did we think of this one? I would like to start by quoting Tumblr user Grox. <laughs> yes! <laughs> right, parenthesis? So horny I need to be hanged, but not killed and left on the gallows to starve. <laughs> Left parenthesis? Hello! Would you like to elaborate? Jerry's really good in the Halloween one. He is! Okay, look. Okay. Okay, look. <laughs> you guys? I think What's the gas that? station might be good now. Like, like, you guys, I think Tales from the gas station might be good. Like, what's happening? I, like, I feel, I feel insane for saying this. I feel like a fucking idiot. Like, I feel like I've been tricked somehow. But, like, like am I crazy? Or is this, like, good? I've forgotten a significant amount of the Halloween episode, the Halloween <laughs> part, because I incorporated it into my being instead. So, like, <laughs> rereading it was like visiting an old diary you found in a really good part of your life when you were a child. It was a warm embrace for a relative you like. It was like, oh. <laughs> like, okay. I had never read this before. Like, the, like definitely the last thing gas station related that I ever got to was 
Death at the Gas Station. Mm-hmm. And Death at the Gas Station is so bad and so offensive that I think it completely turned me off from yeah. engaging with any more Tales from the Gas Station. I mean, and then also, there was this massive, massive break. There, there was a little bit of Finding Vanessa stuff and maybe some, like, book-related stuff, which I had never been into. Yeah. And then, like, a year later, more than a year after the last, like, mainline, online-only gas station mm-hmm. entry, we finally get this. And yeah, it's like, it's just, it's I think good. his writing is just better. Like, I think he just, like, leveled up over that, like, like year and a half. Yeah, he's looking practice. <laughs> yeah. Because he was doing all that book writing that requires a bit more polish sometimes. Not all the time, you know. <laughs> like, at least commanding, like, and, like, the amount of practice you have. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like he's, like, interested in writing enough to have improved writing. There are still, like, flaws, because Mm -hmm. there's going to be flaws in any story, but reading this, it felt like, oh my god, I'm, like, reading a story. (laughs) Yeah, it it had structure. And there's so much about the Halloween that works for me specifically, and then there's stuff that just, like, works because it's, like, properly formatted or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, like, it has (laughs) stuff going on in it. Especially when you compare, like, the ones at the very beginning of this reading. Mm-hmm. Like, Murder at the Gas Station, Death at the Gas yeah. Station. Like, reading those and then reading Halloween is like, like, two different people had written this <laughs> insane, like, universe is how it feels. I feel like I've almost made a mistake even including the two things in this reading. That would be disingenuous if we didn't. But, like, at the same time, I think that contrast is even, like, interesting. Seeing the sudden extreme growth. It mirrors the thing we did previously with Upside Down and mm-hmm. the other one, because the other one Christmas. is really good. Yeah, the other one is really, really good. <laughs> Upside Down sucks so much, and Death yeah. and Murder both suck <laughs> the same exact way. The thing about Christmas, even, though, is that, like, it still suffers fundamentally yeah. from similar problems that plague, you know, Upside Down, Murder, and Death. This one has, like, ghosts like faint memories of stuff that we could be like oh this is stuff we don't like but it's less like the priority of the story to show you things like that there's almost no key jingling in all of Halloween there's tension there's like some literature like flexing there's like yeah the prose is pretty decent and even though I think it's still cheap to do like the NPC kill-off there's yeah. <laughs> more weight to their death. There's more, like, investment in their character. Yeah, exactly. Like, I really liked Bart. Like, I made a note of that. I yeah. was like, huh, I really like Bart's voice. Like, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a small moment where the annoyance of Lucy, I believe, feels like the annoyance of every woman character he does. But then, <laughs> like, they're all, like, their own character, and they feel like that in the story. Yeah. It, what it feels like, it really, what I enjoy a lot about that one, too, just, like, me, is, like visual novel murder mystery close room it though <laughs> and i felt like i was playing with those kinds of like, yeah, ideas it feels like in in the like two-ish years between mainline mm-hmm. gas station stories that like jack has gotten really into video games or something yeah it's just, felt he's like making like... all these references to like this thing in my inventory i i made yeah, these I made kits. Too. Uh, he has a fucking grenade it's also the same plot of every Resident Evil game, where it's like there's an infection, and then like people come in with like a helicopter, and there's like agents everywhere. <laughs> the thing that I sort of mentally compared it to was Until Dawn. Mm. Oh yeah, it feels very like that. 
it, it feels like it has kind of shaken off a lot of the Night Vale inspiration and kind of replaced it with Until Dawn, which I think is working much better Much for better him. for this, yeah. It's totally <laughs> better. There's a moment I feel a little that's like Alice is a dead sort of inspo with Bart there, mm. and it, it made me want to catch up on that. I think it might be done. I don't know. It was pretty good, though. I'm positive that it's done. I, I never listened to it, because, like, it's okay. it's by the time that it was sort of getting on its feet, I'd fallen out of love with Night Vale. Yeah. Like, even when I went back and did the full, like, listen-through of, of Night Vale, I just, like, was never invested enough in their line of products to listen to Alice Isn't Dead. Yeah, they, they do a lot of the same sleazy stuff, but, like, a lot yeah. of story writing is fun, so. Yeah. And it's, like, <laughs> people listen to it and make stuff from it, so, you know, I want to know to, like, know. Okay, one thing that I noted in Murder at the Gas Station that really annoyed me, that I, that I want to compare to Halloween, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Murder, I felt, really exemplified a huge problem with the series overall, which is how passive Jack is as a main character. I know that's kind of the point of Jack in especially early gas station yeah. is that he is just sort of being buffeted around by stuff, but like it's uh-huh. just not interesting to read. Shit is yeah. just happening around him. And then he toddles away and calls the police and has other people handle it and then goes back to minding his business. It's just fucking boring. Yeah, and doesn't really work for the setting or the thing he's doing. I feel like there's a is there like a reality where this would work for something, but not for this. It would maybe, I think it would work, like, this whole thing would work better if the gas station wasn't clearly a paranormal hotspot and people weren't in on it and the town <laughs> wasn't weird and there wasn't weird stuff going on. If it was just Jack who's, like, experiencing things and you're not sure because it's, if it's, like, his mind deteriorating from his condition or if it's, like, a real paranormal thing happening because the rest of the world is grounded and real. Yeah, and, like, and like nobody knows what the fuck he's talking about. Except yeah. for a handful of people, like, you know, Spencer and Jerry, who are yeah. also very obviously not normal. Yeah, and that's the kind of setup would have to happen in order for him to be passive, because he's like, oh, well, I would be reacting to my hallucination, and, like, stuff <laughs> gets worse when I do that, so I'm not gonna do anything. I've learned to not do anything. It's fine if I don't do anything. And then, like, events force him to do stuff because there's now other yeah. people who are, like, in on paranormal things or, like, are messed <laughs> up in some way that he yeah. has to react to it because he has, like, a moral compass and that we learn over time. And, like, that be that story. I feel like that yeah. kind of, like, identity conflicts with, like, the story he's also telling where Jack is just, like, whatever and there's, like, paranormal slapstick happening all the time. <laughs> That's a big problem throughout... Basically everything in Gas Station before Halloween. It sucks that Jack has had all of this character progression, like, in, seemingly in the way that you are describing what you wish would happen. Yeah. Jack has had that character development. We just haven't seen it. But he comes back and he is like, I'm a fucking Resident <laughs> Evil protagonist now. I'm an active main character now and I'm gonna do it's so shit. so fun. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> like... I like him, because, like, it, it suits a lot of stuff beforehand, where he's like, yeah, you guys told me that I'm gonna get, like, crazy murdered, but I'm gonna go do my job. Like, if he's a guy who's like, I am so focused on doing my job, it doesn't matter that these things are happening, that's different from being <laughs> apathetic. Like, he has, like, a collective yeah. system of danger now, and that's good for his character, because that feels real yeah. to this person we've in- been introduced to. The fact that he's now, like, legitimately invested in 
this job and the place. Like, he is the mm-hmm. de facto owner of the gas station. He is the defender of the gas station. Like, that fucking rules as, as yeah. like an arc that he's gone through. I just wish we'd had the actual arc instead of point A and point B. <laughs> it might be in the books is what I feel. It, I it feel- might be. But, like, but the thing is, like, there's been two volumes of books up to this point where we're at in, in Halloween even if volume two comes chronologically in between Death of the Gas Station and Halloween, it's hard to imagine fitting that arc into one of the books in, like, in a satisfying way without seeing other, like, status quo changes. I guess that's what I'm feeling. Like, I love that he's changed because he sucked so bad before, but I think that change doesn't feel earned from the perspective of the story that I'm getting as an online-only reader. I feel there's a part that's not either of these parts that I remember either reading or listening to, where (laughs) there's, like, contention over the deed and how important the deed was. I think it's the (laughs) part in Finding Vanessa where Jack is included and there's, like, we meet the sheriff lady who's now, like, whatever. O'Brien. Yeah, that's his role in finding Vanessa, I think, is, like, the deed okay. and how important... Like, he has to find the deed, I think, is the... Pl- huh. I, was, I said I was going to go re-listen to Finding Vanessa, but I didn't do it because I didn't want to. <laughs> but yeah, I, will. I didn't want to either. <laughs> but I will. I think that's what the puppet wants, Finding Vanessa. <laughs> could it Could it be in Bedside Manor, which is the thing that we're going oh, to do Oh, it might be. Next? It might be in Bedside Manor. I obviously don't know what that one is about either, but I assume that you have listened to it. Yeah. I think that's where the, there's a part later on that might come sooner, or maybe he recaps about how he gets to the position. <laughs> that's also a part that I'm like, oh, this hits me in a really unpleasant way. And we'll get to that, I think that's there. It's between mm-hmm. one of the books, is why I know Hypersychus is like, if you want to find out, come read my book. And it's like, well, no, I'll just wait. It's fine. I don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he does. He does a lot of that in in Death of the like Death of the Gas Station exists one to tell us that Jack has a prosthetic leg so that he can have a prosthetic leg you know in what? Volume Two and and disable and two, icon to to say like <laughs> yeah oh my god that's another thing that I wrote down okay I'm gonna finish my thought first okay. <laughs> initial thought that I was saying the other thing that Death of the Gas Station exists to do is to hawk Volume One that's, yeah. that's the main thing that it ex- exists to do other than setting up the prosthetic which is leg. kind of fun but it's like, easy. <laughs> like Jack's like physical not to say that the insomnia isn't physical but it's yeah. treated much more as like you know a mental health thing rather than a physical health thing it's also given magical properties yeah yeah it's also some magic bullshit but like his physical disability in terms of like having like a broken leg for a really long time and having to get it fucking amputated and like talking about you know the Mm -hmm. the inconvenience and the pain of of having crutches and like his physical dependence on it where like Mm -hmm. he 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 reflexively reaches back for them at at, at a certain point because he forgets that he has a he has a leg now it's like there's no benefit he doesn't get like a benefit of like a a supernatural boost from these things or like (laughs) legit disabilities that he has to deal with it feels very authentic compared Mm -hmm. to the way that his his insomnia is just kind of nonsense and like that's the thing i also like about halloween is that like his insomnia thing Mm -hmm. is not brought up very much like it's sort of referred to a little bit when O'Brien is basically talking about how he's like an unreliable narrator so she doesn't believe him and they're not friends anymore because of that oh pick me <laughs> yes yes lunchtime yeah like 
that that's really nice but i also think at that moment i think that's the hallucination he's happening it's not like lingered on it's just like thrown out there and he's like doubting his judgment but like what's happening is real and the thing on the phone i think is the false thing he's experiencing (laughs) and it's just like nice in there that we just like hit this part and then move on I like the idea that the bug incident was just happening around the gas station. Well, that's, that's, yeah, that's fine, too. Like, I have a serious thought about it, too, more than that. It's sort of, like, I like the divide of wealth of, like, like, she's a sheriff now. She doesn't have time for Jack. She's also at a church function in a rural place, so that's, like, where the wealth is consolidated. And it's, like, yeah, the bugs aren't bothering them. And he's, like, dealing with the bugs in the trenches of the rural gas station, which serves, like, the underclass. But on that note, Ham would be there. <laughs> I mean, like, he, he does mention in early parts of the gas station story that, like, they don't carry fresh food. I guess. I guess. Like, they like know. they pretty much only have, like, dry goods and canned goods and stuff like that. Like, they don't they have, have like, cooler. fresh deli meats. I guess, so, no, that's true. I probably... They have a hot dog rotator, but they don't have, like, sliced ham. Like, like deli ham, you know? Mm, yeah, like, like, they like, they, they wouldn't be selling packs of fucking Hillshire Farms or anything. Yeah, but the thing is about gas stations, and, like, maybe it's different the further south you go, but, like, these gas stations do have deli meat is the thing. But this one doesn't, because it's the worst gas station in True, America. you're right. It's awful, because it's deli meat. This is all, <laughs> this is all happening because it's understocked. You can't... <laughs> I fucking salami in this place. <laughs> but also, like, even if they did have, like, deli ham, it would absolutely be, like, too rotten for him to risk Oh, eating. no, yeah. <laughs> bad. It'd be bad ham. <laughs> the idea of class tension, I guess, that exists between, like, Jack and O'Brien now is, like, an interesting thing to, to bring up and to think about. I do see that. Because we've been wanting this story to have more to say about class relations for a while. It feels like it's finally starting to edge its way there. She has moved up in the world. And Jack technically has as well. Yeah, and, and, and owner, it's a sort but of like, like Night vale kind of feeling where yeah. it's like, oh, all these characters that are familiar are, are you know. up. <laughs> but the fact that like she has leveled up from being someone who was like quite protective over Jack mm-hmm. and like there's this like he's calling her Amy now not even Amelia but Amy yeah. and it feels like the implication that they were like going out or something a little bit and she's like Ooh, yeah. done with a him ten- yeah a little of that tension which like that sucks as a choice to me in the way of like it sucks and I don't like it that men and women can't just be friends in any story it always has to come back to some kind of dumb romantic thing whether it's like unrequited tension or whatever else it is this isn't supported by the text at all but like i like the idea that jack thought that this was happening and he like evolved the relationship like in his own mind (laughs) the stonewall we're getting from her now is to her being like oh this guy's like unstable unstable oopsies oopsie doopsies (laughs) (laughs) and and it's interesting that like the thing that made her not trust him anymore maybe it's in the last the the later part of finding Vanessa, but I I feel like it's just something that is not. No, no, it's not finding Vanessa. They I don't think they finding Vanessa happens in a really small amount of time, and this okay. feels like evolved. Like we were introduced by to O'Brien in finding Vanessa, and that leads into that one story where everyone's like the double story, the Christmas story. But there's a second part of finding Vanessa. Oh fuck, you're right. Oh maybe that's what I'm confusing with the <laughs> stuff I know of. I'll have to listen to it. We'll find out next time. (laughs) 
the only reason that I know there's a second part is because, like, I have been listening to it on YouTube because Mm. I can't, like, maybe this one I could have read with my eyes, but I was just, like, I did go into it assuming that I was gonna hate it, so I was like, I'm just gonna read the whole thing. But now maybe you'll be like, I'd like to be read too. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna read no, that side banner because it's fucking huge. It's okay, you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> that's daunting. <laughs> okay, it is. It is like twice the the length of of the Halloween story. Oh, that's right. It is pretty long. <laughs> like I'm, I'm trying to read with my eyes because I well, the first time I've been, I usually listen to them, so I'm trying to read with my eyes this time. But mm-hmm. I was like half asleep, and I was like, oh, I'm just gonna have this on the background. I'm gonna have to probably like wake up again and read it and listen to it. It was just like, get me in the get me in the mood. Get me ready for it. I typed death of the gas station, like, already half asleep. And it, like, I brought up a bunch of videos of people being killed at a gas station with, like, guns and stuff. And I was... <laughs> what? <laughs> and I was like, okay.com. Well. <laughs> what? <laughs> so please imagine that. <laughs> gas station robbery gone wrong ASMR to put yeah. you to sleep. Yeah. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> I was like not awake enough to, to process that idea but I made a note about it and laid down. It's interesting also that Halloween is so similar to Christmas in terms of structure. Like they're almost identical. Yeah, I like that's a holiday special. I understand it's a format but I like the way he like jingles the format around like (laughs) it's fun to take these pieces and like do different things with them and like makes the format the formula of like what's going on less like you're just churning stuff out while you know like churning stuff out like I think it's okay to do that sometimes when you're like you're you're, like playing it's like sand Mm -hmm. it felt to me almost like he was doing it specifically to like take something that he'd done before and wasn't maybe totally happy with and mm, to, like, cool too. take it and do it again. See, it's great. Even just a year of time is a lot of time to grow as a writer if you mm-hmm. were writing consistently, and it seems like he has He been. was, yeah. So, like, if, if, if he sort of looked back and realized, because, like, Christmas is good, but it's not great. Like, it's not there's Halloween things about good. it that could be better. I mean, yeah, because there is a lot of key jingling and there's a lot of sort of like flat moments to it there's mm-hmm. a lot of stuff where it's just mm-hmm. sort of like they're kind of doing the same thing again where like halloween has a lot more like up and down movement to it he puts like this like reflects the key jingle and making puns i think in this <laughs> one yeah and it's good like i like that for jack as a character yeah i like that he's in the, he's like he likes reading and making puns and organizing and stuff. And, like, the author gets to express this instead of being, like, completely, you know? Jack is just so much more likable now. He's yeah. so much more likable now. He and Jerry are, like, legit best friends now. Like, before he was always just kind of, like, begrudgingly tolerant of Jerry. Like, ugh, this fucking annoying guy who hangs out with me all the time and comes around to the gas station. He's like, I know the uh, um, the millipede monster well, is incorrect because Jerry wouldn't leave me behind. Like, yeah! Like, like oh okay. my god! <laughs> They're best friends, guys. They are. What if we were two boys? Boy best friends. Boy best friends. (laughs) Like, they get shoved into the the cooling area, which is like, 
the scene of all time, this moment of all time. Like, there's so much going on in it, and it's really good. And, like, that Jack trusts Jerry. Like, Jack doesn't want to drink the thing that Jerry gave him. No, but he he trusts him, so he does it. Yeah. Like, he talks about two voices in his head screaming at him not to do it. And one is the queen, and the other one is his common sense. Because, like, he knows that what Jerry likes to put in his in his body and <laughs> in his mouth, and he, he yeah. knows it's not gonna be good for him. Well, Kayla is stronger than both those things. <laughs> Wednesday, I, I, I don't know what you mean. Jack is a completely heterosexual man who just can't help noticing how hot and Handsome. sexy and smooth and... and <laughs> He just, he just appreciates men so much, because he is a, also a man. This strange man who is, like, extremely rude and, like, a valor- I love that Owen is, like, a valor-stealing asshole for no yeah, reason. Oh, it's, it's so, so funny. funny. Oh my god, that was really good. <laughs> like, why is this happening? It's funny that it's happening, but why? Why yeah. does this guy think that that's gonna work? It's, oh, it's such a good part. <laughs> Like, are you prone to violent outbursts? Take the meat off the bone. Jack hates this guy on sight and is still like, oh, this guy was really hot and really well-dressed yeah. and, like, had a sexy, smooth voice. Jack like, is trembling. <laughs> this guy hasn't done anything yet. He just, like, why? I have some coos, baby girl. <laughs> Jack is like, do I? And, like... He takes his jacket, even though his body is, like, mushy and stuff, and, like, he justifies it with, like, stuff that's going on, but I don't think he needed to do that. He was, like, he's smelling this guy's jacket and stuff. And he's gonna, like, go have a threesome with, with Jerry and Lucy after yeah, the ordeals. I really like the used wizard high in that part. Like, they're gonna, well, like, they are. They are. It's related to that. There's this really nice part where there's an expectation of Jerry going to be a pervert about the fact that the, the gas station's full of people, like the note we get in Christmas. But then <laughs> yeah. he's like, hey, Abram's full of bugs instead. Yeah, okay. Like, I, I, I thought, like, when, when he was like, hey, I need to talk to you about something and you're not going to be happy about it. I thought he was about to say, I have dibs on Lucy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he does, like, we get notes about his, like, fingers and, like, the, the smoking. It's all, it's, like, phallic and, like, orally and stuff. And Jack <laughs> is making notes and he's like, hey, this guy's full of bugs instead. Like, that's good. That's, that was just nice. Yeah, Jack, Jack noticing how, how much Lucy has stars in her eyes looking at Jerry. Yeah, yeah, you let us <laughs> by our expectations of this character in your writing and then you, like, jostled us. We were, like, a subverted or whatever. Yeah. The writing in this is just more clever yeah. than it has ever been. Kudos. <laughs> we never get to see, like, writer growth on this podcast. Oh because, my like, god. Whenever we have read something, it has either been, like, a small contained mm-hmm. thing or, like, a longer thing that is posted over a much shorter period of time. We've never had something that had a big jump like this in yeah, the timeline, cool. but it's part of one continuous story. We're going to have something that is separated by, like, a couple of years from its original source material down the line, and it, it degrades <laughs> from where, where this is actual growth. He took, like, the attention and interest in his story and, like, grew with it instead of just being like, well, this is my brand identity forever now. Yay, art! <laughs> and, like, grew out of the sort of, like, South Park apathy mm-hmm. of the early stuff. Fair, and yeah. Into 
something that feels more self-aware. Although it does suck that he invented a black guy to, like... To kill, yeah. <laughs> to, do a, to do a lot of really graphic violence, too, and then kill his bugs, yeah. <laughs> At least there's a sort of equal opportunity gratuity of the violence in this. Like, yeah, like April's stuff is much more gross than Bart, I would that's say. That's true, like, yeah, that's true. He's doing it with, like, a self-awareness of, like, tropes around this, but it's like, you're still doing it, and I think it's a really hard line to walk. <laughs> like, pretty fucking steel-balled of him to do, in 2019, Owen doing, like, the sort of, like, racist cop justification yeah. for why he had to, why he had to shoot off. Bart, and being like, oh, he, he lunged for me, does he have a weapon on him? When, like, this story has historically been very, like, <laughs> nice, positive yeah. on the cops. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I guess, maybe that's, maybe that's why. Like, I know what he's trying to do, but it's like, man, I don't know if you're qualified to handle no, this. No, definitely <laughs> In my notes, I made a comment, like, I don't think this belongs, like, he's trying to do things that don't <laughs> feel like they belong in the tone of the story, that are more serious. Like, he wants to do serious things in his silly, in his silly like... Yeah, I, like, that's the thing. This is not a deep story. <laughs> it is It is well written and it's entertaining, at, like, at, in this point of the story. If I watched, like, an Evil Dead entry and it tried to be, like, <laughs> talk to me about, like, a Politically social political aware. issue. Yeah, like, mm, not the right tone for this, I think. <laughs> like, okay, if he wanted to evolve it in that direction, I would be... I, I think he does. Tentatively interested. Yeah, I would be curious I, about what he thinks that he has to say about it. Later stuff feels like... It feels like this is, like, the marker point where he tries to, like, shift from the previous tone of stuff, and he's doing this mm -hmm. by, like, giving distance with the cop lady and, like, trying to take these things, like, a little more serious-toned. Yeah, and, and even, like, the secret agents, you know, who descend from the sky are very, like, <laughs> morally ambivalent in yeah. a way that, like, has only kind of been hinted at up until now. So now it's, yeah. like, this sort of more universal distrust of authority that is being created at the gas station, which is, like, interesting. I remember, like, later stuff tone-wise, too, and it's, like, watching it get there is cool because stuff later on feels also ha has like more like gravity to it like the, the bedside manner stuff yeah there's like a, a heaviness that's not present in like earlier stuff that's like getting here now-ish I'm, I'm actually for the first time like looking forward to reading the next part because i'm curious <laughs> about where it goes from here and also okay i like the fact that there were not too many callbacks in this. Yeah, you used only some, the, the, the like, characters and the number of characters that yeah. needed to be in the story in order to sort of make oh it my go. God. There were a couple of little, like, small references yeah. that were, like, brief enough that it didn't annoy me. Or, like, if it annoyed me, it faded very quickly because they were over so fast. But I hope Spencer comes back. <laughs> I miss Spencer. Where's Spencer at? Bring him out. I, I want to see my boy. Because Spencer was such a big deal for a large part of, you know, early gas station. And he, like, maybe there was stuff with him in volume two that has dealt with his arc. I hope not. But, like... He only brings him out in the book. That's, that's like, how you have... That's, like, how he's going to get you to buy some. He's like, oh, I put Spencer in the book exclusively. <laughs> okay. Download okay. him. If the Spencer stuff gets resolved in the book... I'll find us a PDF. 
Fun yes, I, I, I will read it for free. I will not pay for it. But, like, yes, I, I will deign to read your book if Spencer is in it. Yeah. And, like, in, is, if he is the main villain of the book, and I am not going to get any more Spencer in Bedside Manor. Jenna, I'll have to, <laughs> if, we don't, if, we don't, if we don't see where Spencer is, I'll, I'll read the books and tell you if you should bother reading them. How about? Okay. But I hope he's, but I hope he's actually in I can't Bedside remember. Manor. And I have a feeling that he's going to be, because, like. He has be somewhere he's not in the <laughs> halloween one because it's sort of like a closed what he's done like a is a closed murder thing and like yeah. the inclusion of spencer opened up the shift shaper one too much he does this thing in the very like you you think jerry's gonna say something horny it's a thing it's like you think that's spencer with all the knives and stuff and jack's subconscious but it's actually monster detail and that's a nice yeah bit. There were a couple of parts in this where I was like, oh, is that going to be Spencer? Oh, is that going to be Spencer? <laughs> You're so fucking primed for Spencer. You miss him. Like, the motorcycle in the ditch, we don't know what that's all about. Yeah. Like, that might be Spencer. We never get an answer on that. Maybe that was Spencer. Maybe Spencer was, like, intentionally leading more people into the gas station oh, to that's fuck cool. with Jack. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, it makes Spencer a more menacing character because you're like, where the fuck is he? You can't, yeah. see, you can't see him. He's scary. That's, that's Jackson every day. You know where Spencer's at. Like, I know this man can't die. Like, where is he? Yeah. Has he? Is he over Jack? What's up? Oh, no. <laughs> Everyone who's into Jack is over Jack, and now... <laughs> He just has Jerry. Oh my god. <laughs> Which sets up stuff later that to be really nauseating, I think. is because Jack's, like, inner world is shrunk down to a point. And then there's, like, this nasty, nasty moment, I think. <laughs> and tease it. Tease it out for you. <laughs> and, like, even some of the, the named, like, gas station employees, like, don't show up in this like i don't know if they're dead or if they've just stopped being characters in the story if they've moved on or what like we get no rosa we get no mel we get no mention of carlos yeah where's rosa it's interesting too because he he brings up like he manages people now but like his world is much more like smaller than it was prior while not feeling as like he's only talking about events that just happened sort of way although there is an issue i think like generally in stories like this you might want to like start with the helicopter and go back because you're invited and like I have to recap now and they just say you have to recap and that's weird and there's some like flow thing that like it's fine when it's happening because it's like the story you're expecting it to be but if you're reading a fresh story and you're getting like this guy writing a diary while his mind was happening in real time be like okay well thanks for doing that I guess I didn't enjoy that well, like, Jack is also intentionally being a storyteller at this point is the thing. Yeah, that's too. It, like, it works because of that. We tend to be pro-immersion on the podcast, I think, but I think lesser immersion of Halloween actually works a lot more yeah, in its favor. to its favor. Jack is not in this moment in real life. Like, he is mm-hmm. relating his memories mm-hmm. of the moment back to us and it works better like there's just a moment of like it, it, it pulled me out long enough to be like well you could have done this differently but like it was mm-hmm. cool to it was cool when it was happening if that makes sense like i didn't hate it it's also just like <laughs> i don't think this is how you should do this i guess yeah i get that yeah because historically the way 
that the author has used immersion and the fact that this is like a story like real like it's happening real time and you're there yeah has been really really annoying and like caused some of the worst things in the story i guess that's it it feels like he's misunderstanding the time flow here and he's doing like the real time like recap memory and i can feel that like impulse to want to do that but it's like contained because <laughs> those scenes that's happening in it is so good on its own like <laughs> what's happening is dope and we get so much good jerry lore <laughs> how can i be mad i knew you were gonna really dig <laughs> the the bottom of my little pony boxers hey i wrote i wrote down that this was for me <laughs> Like, it is dumb to have yeah. <laughs> him be a brony. It, it feels very outdated in 2019 to do this thing where he's a brony, and in 20, uh, 2023, it feels even more outdated. But Yeah, but like... It's very cute. Jerry's really cute, you guys. <laughs> like, for, like, for being a guy who would kill without blinking an eye, he's, like, pretty cute, I think. He's, like, I think, yeah, he's allowed to because he's cute. <laughs> And a ball gags also got me. Yeah, that was pretty good. Like, you know, like, there's this feeling that Jerry knows he's doing a bit, like, throughout the whole thing. But, like, we get, like, it's not, like, told to us directly, but he's, like, putting on a persona and, like, he drops it. And sometimes Jack gets to see, like, a real guy underneath the persona, but he knows when to, like, put it back on. And Jack himself can't see the dividing line, but us the reader of the story can that's really nice and it's really complicated and I think it comes off well yeah like Jerry is kind of doing his like sticky personality for Jack's yeah. benefit a lot oh my of the god because he knows Jack is dying <laughs> yeah he's like trying to cheer him up and like make him like laugh and like he loves people and wants to make people happy yeah he's a fucking he's he's the ultimate utilitarian <laughs> <laughs> Jack rules. Uh, Jerry rules so much. <laughs> like he kind of tries to do a little bit of that in Upside Down, but mm-hmm. it doesn't land because he's going too <laughs> far with Jerry in that. We're like, yeah. this is scaled back just enough, so it's like Jerry is like a person who is doing a bit. He is not just the bit. Yeah, yeah. Like he's like this really intense and serious and dedicated math centric person. And, like, but he's also, like, the class clown, because he knows that's needed. He is also a guy who likes to take hallucinogens because he finds that kind of thing fun. And that, that yeah. is just an aspect of his personality that is yeah, also yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, so good. <laughs> and it makes sense with, like, the stuff presented about. Like, he's, like... He's into spirituality. Yeah, And he's yeah. into, like, cosmic math and stuff. Yeah, like, of course, like, of course he's a guy be... who'd be into ayahuasca. Like, oh, exactly like, the type of white guy who's, who loves ayahuasca. Yeah, it's, like... <laughs> <laughs> it fits him so well, and it fits, like, the story tone really well, and, like, the stuff that happens... We play a game called Unknown Armies, by the way. And yes, Unknown Armies, Armies is yeah. really good, you guys. You should play it if you get the chance. Just, like, look at it if you don't get the chance, right? It is a tabletop RPG in a similar kind of vein mm-hmm, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. Call of Cthulhu. But about urban horror. Yeah, it is It is an urban horror set in the quote-unquote real world with magics that are based on... Like, social stuff. Yeah, yeah, just, like, aspects of modern life concentrated down into a form of magic. Um, and it's a very cool game. 
in that game you can get wizard high because that's a class and there's um yes there's and there's high wizards and, yeah and he gets so high he starts seeing auras and that's an item in the game and i thought that was i was like <laughs> that was like a neat thing for us like oh that's how we use that thing in the game we play we get wizard high constantly we use it all the time it's so useful <laughs> There's a spell that you can load into a tab of LSD if you're a drug wizard in Unknown Armies that lets you see, it's called Universal Perceptual Solvent, mm-hmm. and it allows you to see auras and see spiritual parasites and things like that for the duration of the spell. Yeah, and that's what happens in the story, and you're like <laughs> there for it. <laughs> it's, they're both based on the sort of like pastiche of like what we imagine the experience of mm-hmm. this drug to be like, especially with the interference of magic logic. Mm-hmm. There's also like like an astral parasite, like literally, because she's like a, <laughs> a worm beast. Hey, parasites scare me a lot. <laughs> like brain parasites yeah. really scare me. Yeah, how are you doing with this? When I was a kid, like a pretty little kid, like seven years old, I read the, like, Goosebumps Invasion of the Body Snatchers book, and it scared me so badly. I was so convinced that I was going to get body snatched. So whenever someone would make, like, a popping noise with their their lips, the way that the the possessed people do in the Goosebumps book, I would be so scared. Like, oh my god, that's a body snatcher, and I'm going to get body snatched. Oh, no. So that's, that's a deep uh, fear in my baby brain. <laughs> like, yeah. And plus, like, gross bug horror also gets me. This topic was both sort of, like, for both of us, I think, really, like, hit notes of, like, things were in tune that yeah. way. <laughs> but something about millipede. Yeah, millipedes scare you so much. So much. And there's, like, they're <laughs> up in people's bodies and stuff, and, like... And like, and also like sharp needly things. I don't care for <laughs> needles. Don't bother me personally. Like it's complicated. <laughs> like, I don't like metal things. I don't like. I guess I don't like needles. I just don't like needles. But like, I don't know. <laughs> Wednesday. That's a really funny justification. For you to say, like, no, it's not that I don't like needles. I don't like metal things. What are you talking about? <laughs> My friend Wednesday, terrified of screwdrivers. I am. It's the thing. I don't want to get locked, y'all. I don't want to get tetanus. It's scary. Okay, the way that you get tetanus is by, like, letting a cut or whatever get infected. It's not just, like, if you touch something that's, like, metal. I have this really irrational fear that, though, like, if a male thing brushed up against the side of me, I automatically think, like, oh, God, I got tetanus now. I gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) So you're learning this about me. Oh, there was a part where he kind of got me. Like I was, I was surprised oh. by something. Like yeah, I was, yeah. I, I, I was expecting it to go one way and it went the other. Because like when he made the point of Bart being, you know, dead under the tarp, mm-hmm. and the queen has escaped, I was like, oh, okay, the the story is going to continue, and the queen is going to escape because she's going to be, you know, hiding inside of of Bart's corpse. But then you know the corpse stands up and starts like attacking and shit. 
Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I, I was expecting that to be part of, like, the denouement. Like, they weren't going to realize oh. that that's where she was until they're cleaning everything up and disposing of, of the body and then she would escape. But then they, they later introduced the idea of, like, she can only, you know, stay in a viable body for five minutes. That was a really nice, okay, we keep talking about, like, it feels improved. He's still doing a creature feature, but this feels r- much, much nicer. Like, we're getting her, like monster stats but it feels like incorporated into the story that doesn't feel like he's just like saying words at us and like that's really nice yeah there's there's no one big exposition dump we get bits and pieces of exposition as they become relevant which is what you should be doing yeah and we see it in the story beforehand it's like the foundation of it like she can't like get into bar but we learn that later but like we see it now that's nice yeah yeah like she 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 had to do something extreme because she couldn't just hide out in Bart. Because, like, that's that's the direction I thought it was going to go in. Mm-hmm. But that would have been a less interesting story. So he, he justifies it by saying, okay, she has a time limit of how long she can stay in a non-viable body, so she's going to do all this other crazy shit. Owen is killed by the swarm, so that makes him not viable anymore either. So And, and it's also, like, she's, like, stupid is the thing. <laughs> like It's really fun that she's very much... Like a centipede, like she's just a bug, but like yeah, she's she's a quote unquote hyper intelligent bug, but she's still like a dumb bug. Yeah, and it it's really nice in the story. She's like, yeah, I'm like a god, and like I really okay. I I stated like how I felt like complaining wise about that part, but I also really liked it because I liked hearing her memories. I liked hearing the bug talk about it. That was cool. Like it was cool. It was like the structure of it i thought was dubious or whatever but like it was cool because it was just cool i liked it i like the bug <laughs> talk and i like that it was just a flow of a thing in jack's voice basically it is the same sort of parallel as to like the shapeshifter assuming mm-hmm. jack's form and telling us things about him and about spencer you mm-hmm. know this from much an outsider done. perspective yeah yeah exactly like the that's why I think this was intentionally the author trying to do the thing again, but do it better. Like, this yeah. thing, this is his redux of Christmas. Because oh, he wasn't yes, satisfied yes. with it, I don't think. And I like it. People should do that more often, I think. It's nice yeah. to have, like, a, the growth of it, the before and after. Yeah, exactly. Like, don't be afraid to, like, take your old stuff and say, like, actually, I can do this better and then do it. Yeah, and while it's, like, in this part, I also really like the mechanics of snatching memory just happen, so we're not, like, given, like, you know, how people are with these sorts (laughs) of things. It just, like, happens, and we get him talking about it, and it feels, like, really a part of a character and a part of a scene and not just, like, an exposition dump. Because this is part of his, like, peyote ayahuasca Mm -hmm. trip, you can sort of rationalize it as being that this is him sort of talking to himself. Like, it, it, it doesn't have to necessarily be anything... Like, supernatural. Actually, magic happens. Yeah, 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 it doesn't have to be supernatural. It doesn't have to be magic. It is just that, like, he is having this experience as he is trying to figure out, like, okay, what's my next move from here? Is this okay to do? Mm-hmm. It's really... It's, it's like, layered nicely. The green elf man spirit guide thing I thought was pretty dumb. Yeah. Like, didn't care for that very much. No. Like, I'm sure it's not intended to be, but it comes off sort of insensitive and weird. Like, I, I can't tell if this is supposed to be a joke at the expense of, like, the type of guy that Jerry embodies, 
but it's it just feels gross. Peyote and ayahuasca are both pretty spiritually significant to the cultures that use them for traditional medicine. So the idea of him having like a spirit guide and it turning out to be like comical and wacky, it just feels kind of dickish because of the associations that we have with that kind of medicine in like pop culture and like where they come from and how they're appropriated by modern spiritualists. I don't know. I didn't like the spirit guide surfer elf. Did like the joke about no making out. I did, I, I did write down, Angel wants it raw, no kissing. Get your angel stick now, Jack. <laughs> Jack is not beating the gay allegations. This... <laughs> okay, I know cis straight people are into the, the RuPaul's drag race, but we do start with Jerry looking at it on his phone. Yeah, okay, yeah. Funny for Jerry to be into drag race. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> look at, like, I know by 2019 it had very much entered pop culture for mainstream normies or whatever. But, like, he but lives like, in the okay. woods. But the combination, I mean, yes, he, he does kind of live in the woods, but also the combination of he's into drag race, <laughs> he's into My Little Pony. Yeah. He does, he does the ball gag joke. <laughs> And he essentially invites Jack for a threesome with him and Lucy. Yeah. And, and also the throwaway line that he has about um, one of Jerry's types of laughs. Yeah. Where, where <laughs> one of them is the, is the, whoops, I didn't mean to see you send you that dick yeah. pic laugh. Like, like, no, he did mean to send it to you and he's, he's like laughing it off. Like, and Townsend knows this, but this being a type of laugh implies that he sent more than one accidental dick pic to Jack. Like, no, Jerry is desperately trying to hit, and Jack is his, like, oblivious, closeted friend. <laughs> they go do it, is the thing. <laughs> they, they, they sex up the centipede queen host <laughs> as they get wizard high, is the end of the story. <laughs> I don't think they sex up the, the centipede listen, queen, because she listen, lives in I understand, raccoon. I understand that's the end of the story where she's in the raccoon, but, like, what if we pretend the <laughs> raccoon is something different that he's seeing, and, like, they just go do that instead? I think that'd be a cool to end the story. Wednesday, I don't think the millipede queen, I, I, I don't think the mayfly queen wants to have sex with humans, though. <sighs> that's fine, I guess, whatever. <laughs> serious though mayfly realness to compare the 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 mayflies and the mayfly queen to sagoth she oh, is yeah. so much more creative as like a design and a character than sagoth and the shapeshifter and like like when i mean when i say mayfly realness i mean like that's an actual problem like areas like this have these kinds of swarms exist but like the existing like if you were around these sort of like this east coast ruling region when there was like the false ladybug like uh, hatching or like mayflies (laughs) or june flies like it's like everything just gets coated in them like buildings and like the you see they're like the sky's like thick with them like you'll think it's a big bird but it's a swarm of bugs instead blocking the sun for a moment like this is like a real thing that happens in these areas so it's nice that the horror is a part of that actually and not just like uh, a dude outside it's interesting that it is taking a part of local culture i guess and taking it to an extreme of horror yeah which is like 
that's nice. It's like, that's what a lot of these things, like, lack is when they try to do, like, a weird thing, but, like, the weird thing happens from, like, a region, and it's not, like, drawn from the region's actual thing. Like, do you, like, you know Welcome to Nightville's in the desert in, in like, a nevada area, but other than, like, maybe radiation horror, do they really, like, draw <laughs> from it? You know? Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, like, that's a big problem that Night Vale has, is that, like, they want to it to be a story about, like, a desert city, but they don't rely enough on the actual tropes of the American Southwest and the desert, and they try to sort of generalize it to be more just, like, American small-town horror, which, like, you can't really do if you are setting it in a very specific place. Like, if, like, if you go this deep into the region and its, you know, environmental features mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. its sort of cultural features in this way are, are limiting your palette and you have to play within that palette. Otherwise, it loses something important. Mm-hmm, I agree. Like, they do a, an episode about, like, the heat and the sun and stuff, but it just ends up being sort of, like, that Twilight zone silly, like... <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like, that episode, but, like, not grounded in, like, stuff. Because, like, Carlos isn't seen... Carlos is seen as bothersome because he's, like, doing chores and stuff, but not that he's <laughs> contributing to it by having a lawn, you know? Yeah. People have lawns in this desert community. It's, yeah, it's absurd. And, like, it's never, I don't know, it's never, like, brought over to, like, the point of the thing that's being, like, the horrors or whatever. There is literally a forest that shows up. Yeah. And, like, the joke about the waterfront. And they joke about how the waterfront is a, is a silly idea because they're in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. But then the waterfront gets full of water anyway. Uh, it's just, like, not grounded in the place that it's in. Like, there's, like, moments where it feels like it once was, you know? And now it's, mm-hmm. like, something different. Girl, if you want your thing to be set in California, set in fucking California. That's yeah. all I have to say. I agree. There's so many people who don't live in these regions that want to go do a store in these regions because they perceive these regions as spooky, basically. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, there's so many, like... Leaving Nightville for a second, there's so many right now, like, rural stories set in, like, Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. And, like, people will be, like, from Georgia and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, yes, Georgia's in this region, but Georgia isn't, like, like, a a place with, like, 300 people dead center in the mountains. (laughs) You've never lived there. Okay, go put, place your thing in Georgia. (laughs) And by Georgia, I meant Atlanta, Georgia. There's obviously rural places in Georgia. And even the cities face the hardships that come from being both in the south and in the mountain region. Your experiences as someone who's from Atlanta, as like an outsider to the art world, when you're surrounded by people from New York City or LA, is just not comparable to the generational poverty and suffering of the working class found in the rural places of this region. There are urban centers in these places that people mm-hmm. treat as being essentially like rural because it's like not yeah deliverance rural wastelands yeah and it's like okay if you think that about that what do you think about places that are actually like <laughs> nothing like we, like it doesn't bring a justice in the way that people think they're like shining a light on the inequalities of these regions it's like well you lived in the city i'm sorry like you, you didn't <laughs> live here 
<laughs> you're just making a spooky story and you're acting like you're not. The the attempt to like mine horror from exaggerating the experience is one thing that I mm-hmm. notice. Like some of my horror stuff is adjacent to rural horror, but I mm-hmm. tend not to write actual like rural rural stuff because like that's not an experience that's familiar to me but also I think there is something that is worth writing about with this experience Mm -hmm. of like the small town that is not necessarily like rural there's so much good material you can pull from for really regionally grounded horror for any U.S. region like a coastal city or northern Appalachia or like rinky-dink midwest which is where i come from but people gravitate towards specific places that have this connotation of like poverty and ignorance like the rust belt or or the deep south or like in the case of night vale like the spooky desert where it's like an untamed wasteland yeah 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 it's worth what it's there's like worth in it and people sort of like there's not a lot of urban horror that's like legitimate urban horror but just like setting in a city because that's where people live you know what I mean but like (laughs) but people want to do the the rural horror because there's some kind of like a prestige about capturing it without experiencing Mm -hmm. it it's like uh it's like delivering it to people so that they don't have to experience it firsthand I really like Lake that you wrote I've been thinking about it a lot lately oh thank you I, I, I was thinking about about Lake when I brought that up like Lake and Small Town America yeah. are both, like, very much reflections of my experience living in the parts of Michigan mm-hmm. that I have lived in. You guys like, should go read Lake. I didn't, I didn't live, like, on Lake Michigan, but, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very familiar with the Great Lakes region yeah. and the energy of, like, living in, mm-hmm. like, a shitty town <laughs> Next in to it, yeah. this region. <laughs> It's so insane to think about how shitty the region is when it's right next to lakes. Like, like, <laughs> like it defies, like, kind of, like, waterfront logic to know that, like, Erie is, like, uh, <laughs> a, a depraved place. Well, I mean, like, because there is a really stark class divide yeah. in these places is the thing about it. Like, like if you go down to Detroit... It's a nightmare because of the endemic poverty. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. the people have been abandoned in so many ways. And, like, it is very difficult to make things work for it's you. It's very similar in these places. But if you go over to, just, like, you go 15 minutes over to Gross Point, it, it, it's an extremely wealthy neighborhood mm-hmm. living right up against this, like, totally yeah. deprived urban center. Yeah. And people just, like, live like that. It's absurd. And, and, and that's what a lot of, of these areas are like. And, like, to gas stations' credit, the idea of class divisions and, like, minimum wage mm-hmm. work are dealt with more, even before Halloween. But, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Like, like, you brought it before. Like, the feeling of that class divide is, I mean... It's downright a theme of this because we have Owen, the snarky rich guy who thinks that he should be in charge of the situation despite being totally unqualified because he's rich, so he must be smarter than these idiots. Yeah, it's good. This is, like, not told directly to us that this was happening. Like, you just get markers of his character and, like, his behavior. Yeah. And, like, I really like the part... I thought it was a bit 
overdone, but, like, <laughs> I really did enjoy the part where he's like, yeah, I was, uh... Uh, a vet of Iraq and stuff. Yeah, and she I did and three tours in the Marines in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> like I couldn't remember where this was going, so I was like, "Oh God, that's not true." Because like, that sucks so bad for the story. And then like he gets called out, and I thought the calling out happened in a way that was a little clunky, a little overdone, but it was also nice. <laughs> it was also like a nice bit of him like trying to like insert like authority <laughs> and power and being told like. And, like, someone, like, he thought of Lesser because she just, like, outed herself as, like, a lower-class medical worker, I guess. What is a veterinarian, anyway? Like, Yen is is the vet, but Lucy, I'm pretty sure, is the oh, one Lucy who says it. calls right. him out. And, and, and I thought that was a really interesting character bit Choice, for yeah. Lucy. Because, like, because we don't really know anything about her. She's sort of the least developed in her dialogue out of all the characters, unfortunately. Because, like, she could be pretty interesting, and especially with her being the one who survives to the end, it's kind of disappointing that, like, she is not characterized as strongly as, like, Yen. Yeah, Yen gets tons of stuff. None of the, like, NPC characters ever get beyond, like, two-dimensional. Even, like, the the interesting ones. But they are, like, fun two-dimensional characters. And then Lucy, who's kind of boring. But... It's nice that she's, like, a gun freak. Yeah, like, she overlaps with Rosa a bit. I think I think he might have recognized that and pulled it back, whatever, like, like maybe we don't see a lot of stuff because he might have cut a lot of stuff if Lucy mm-hmm. had more inclusion or, like, it got r- filed down. So it yeah. does end up with Lucy sort of, like, just there. But, like, but what we give her is kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, it... It's, it's not so much Rosa. Like, I, I feel like Yen has a little more of Rosa to her because Rosa is very, like, naive and pro-social. Oh, that's true. Where Lucy feels like, okay, there's an issue with writing women when it comes to, like, guy writers, especially in, like, I mean. genre spaces. And it feels as though Yen and Lucy were kind of originally one character in his mind that he split up into <sighs> two because he was like, well, I need to kill one woman. <laughs> So, (laughs) before the end of the story, like, one of these characters has to die, specifically so there can be that moment where there's, like, a queen monster on the throne doing her hot girl monologue, and then also the the final hour dilemma of whether Jack can kill a potential innocent based on just pure cold logic. So, I'm gonna sort of split this character into two, and then Lucy just ends up not really getting very developed, other than, like, okay, we know that she is, like, kind of a gun freak, she's competent, and she's into Jerry. That's really all we get about her. (laughs) Maybe that's what I'm feeling, because that's the kind of beat that happens with O'Brien and Rosa to start with. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, (laughs) he, he has character types that are women, and that's the vibe I'm getting of his opinion of them, maybe. Lucy is a sort of toned-down O'Brien. Like, if O'Brien was nice and not a cop. Yeah. But it's also, like, I think what I'm picking up is, like, his interest in writing one character over the other, basically. <laughs> and maybe that's yeah. why it sounds yeah. familiar, because he's not interested in writing Rosa, even though she's kind of cool. Like, I like... Okay, and that one of the junky ones that we're not really talking about, there's that part where he talks about Jerry and Rosa doing, like, the watermelon fire thing, and that's really yeah, cute. I, I, I messaged you <laughs> when I got to that part. I, I was like, wow, uh, Jerry talking about flamethrowering watermelons. Is, is he single king? <laughs> yeah, like, 
That's good. We love Jerry. And like that. We love Jerry. He's so fun. And the He's fact so that, you know, Rosa loosens up after the Christmas yeah. episode and starts getting in on the crazy stuff. And now she's just kind of gone. Maybe she's still in the story, but just like he didn't want to have her present one. for Halloween. Like, like the Halloween one gets justified and that he's doing kind of like a murder mystery bit, even though it's not a murder yeah. mystery for us, the reader. But like, and like maybe they get the day off for Halloween because Halloween gets <laughs> crazy. It's sort of like justified within the story without saying it. Lucy would have been a more interesting character if she was Rosa. <laughs> yeah, that's true Cause like, too. Because we would have had an existing backstory and voice with Rosa playing this role. Like, even if Rosa was there and he didn't expect her to be there, like, like he gets surprised because Rosa's there and she's dressed up for Halloween and he's like, Rosa, you, you know that we don't do that here. And she's like, but I'm going to a party. Ha ha ha. Like, Rosa's there and he's like, he, he doesn't recognize her because he's in costume, right? And Jack has <laughs> yeah. like, and he's like, oh, oh my god, Rosa, I forgot you existed because you don't work today. <laughs> and she she's like, yeah. Jack has face blindness. Yeah, it's perfect. It's <laughs> It's a symptom. <laughs> it's it's probably literally of that condition, but like, because that that's the part of your brain that also rules that kind of pattern of recognition. And then they'd go smash, and it'd be rewarding <laughs> for us to know that. I mean, then again, having the only other NPC, I guess, survivor be an existing character that we've already had might have felt too cheap. True, because we're we're already saying like. It's not a big deal to kill off these NPCs, and the weight of their deaths <laughs> felt nicer than this. But if it was like, well, of course she'd live. But then again, yeah. like there is sort of like a, a sort of like a oh, is he isn't he going to kill her in that moment? And I guess like I don't know. I guess it would be cheaper if it was like if she was like oh, of course he wouldn't because she's an existing NPC. <laughs> but like yeah. or yeah. I guess. I guess, like, maybe that's where his conflict was, too. Maybe that's sort of, like, what we're feeling here in the story. Prop, like, the fact that he includes so few callbacks mm-hmm. says to me that he knows that he has had that problem in the yeah. past with his writing, where he knows that he relies a little too much on that sort of mm-hmm. callbacky, key jingly kind of writing in order to keep people's engagement. So, mm-hmm. like, he probably knows that it cuts the tension a little too much if he does that which like i respect yeah like you said earlier it's really cool to see an author grow in this space yeah like wow that doesn't happen that's so cool (laughs) yeah because like this is not a space that does a lot to incentivize people to grow they want the same thing from the same author over and over and over again i i wonder what the reception on this was i i have to assume pretty good because He's very well liked. But yeah, at this point, he's like a person. He's like a personality that people want to be around. He can do fuck whatever he wants. He's a person who decided, who recognized that he could do whatever he wants and went to go do growth instead of like what other people do. <laughs> he didn't Stephen King it. Yeah. Oh, I made a. This is a separate sort of thought, but I made a Stephen King note that this structure of the story felt very Stephen Kingy more than the last one I made a reference to, like, The Mist. I literally made a note, this feels more like The Mist than Christmas yeah. does. <laughs> yeah, it's that, very, it's that same sort of, like, build-up and explanation in, like, an alter yeah. space, and, like, yeah, it just feels very similar, but it also incorporates a lot of other horror interests, like you said, like, he does feel very video gamey, it feels very Resident Evil-y, it feels like maybe he played uh, Escape Zero before this. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and that sort of video game logic feel to it, I think, does wonders mm-hmm. for the story being engaging. And okay, because the thing about Night Vale, even the good parts of Night Vale, is that they are very. I, I, I don't want to say meditative, but they mm-hmm. are not exciting stories. No. And you can tell that he wants the story to be exciting, which is, I think, why that early stuff falls so flat for us. Okay, well, the thing about Welcome to Night Vale is sort of, it's like the tone they're going for is like an NPR piece. And why it's sort yeah. of just like melodious and like... Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's small town radio. It's like... Nobody listens to the radio anymore except me, but, like, sometimes uh-huh. when you flick through radio channels because, like, nothing... Okay, my car... I don't have my car because I'm in Australia, but when I'm in Michigan, my car does not have an aux or a CD drive. <laughs> yeah. It does not even have a fucking cassette player. I have a radio and nothing else. So if I want music while I'm driving, and I always do, I have to put the radio on. And sometimes when you're flicking through stations, especially in the evening, they won't be playing anything good on the usual stations on like, you know, the classic rock station or mm-hmm. the alt rock station. So I'll flick through and I'll find, you know, the sort of like 80s, 90s, and now pop station, and they'll have like a woman with a very serene and sort of hippie-ish vibe to the way that she's speaking, <laughs> and she's talking about embracing love in your life. Let's all be thankful for what we have here. And that's the thing that Cecil is doing in Welcome to Night Vale, except in like a sinister uh, radio propagandist way. <laughs> it's like the last flaw in the radio cycle <laughs> before it switches over to like yeah. Whatever. It's like it's the 2 a.m. slot of things that yeah. treat it as though it's yesterday. It's the it's the liminal space of the radio. That's what Welcome to Nightville is. And that gets across really yeah. well, but does not suit itself well to, like, intense progressive arcs, I guess. And, like, yeah. the video game thing does <laughs> here. That I'm, I'm so glad that he, like, switched up from that, found mm-hmm. new inspirations to draw from, mm-hmm. and, like, found new ways to, like hone the skills that he already had so yeah it's exciting kudos to you mr townsend because <laughs> it's because it's not often that we yeah either a change our tune or b say positive things <laughs> about works on this show yeah so. <laughs> this is not related to the thing we're talking about but it really makes me think about how much i like that marvel hornets as a video gamey you can't see me. I'm sort of nodding thoughtfully. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, oh. I, I suppose, I guess I understand the logic of that. There's like an inventory grab. There's sort of like <laughs> dialogue trees. There's like effects that happen. And that's like a thing you don't see as much as often. People draw inspiration or like if they're making video game horrors, they go make a video game, you know? Or they make yeah. like a, a video series. Yeah, I mean like because... Because that's what Troy Wagner is doing now. Like, Ekva is yeah. just like a choose-your-own-adventure on Twitter now, yeah. which is insane. It's been that for four years or something. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So he wanted to make video game horror, but it's not often we see anymore. Like, video game horror that's not yeah. playable or, like, interactive fiction. I mean, like, this is interactive fiction, obviously. But <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean. It's but like, not literally yeah, in-game. It's it not is, a game. It's not we're, like... We're experiencing fiction. And it's like, it's really cool. I wish more. I wish we saw it more often. Like, that sort of uh, genre crossover is interesting. Yeah, it's nice to have. What pony do you think is Jerry's favorite? Oh, man. Um, Look, I I don't know that much about the 
ponies, just in general. Like, you know that I know nothing about yeah. fucking My Little Pony. What if, but be- what if Applejack? Before- oh, Applejack feels good for him. I think he'd probably be like, like, if he had to rank them into tiers. Applejack, <laughs> Twilight Sparkles. I, I, I feel like some people would probably have the instinct that, like, oh, of course Jerry's favorite would be Rainbow Dash, because she's, no, like, super high no. energy. But, like, too high energy for Jerry. Jerry, Jerry is excitable, but yeah. he's also, he's excitable because he wants other people to be excited and to feel good, because that's yeah, his ideology. Yeah, he loves it, yeah. So, like, he'd be about the pro-social horse, yeah. not necessarily about the most high-energy Hi, horse. Yeah, which is why Pinkie Pie isn't also the top, He's because he's not whacking crazy <laughs> for, like, Pinkie Pie's also doing a bit, but, like, he wouldn't resonate with that. He'd resonate with, like, the hard-working, like, has a gimmick, but it's clearly, like, you know? From... <laughs> From what I understand, Applejack is just, like, a nice lady. Yeah. She's, like, insecure and feisty. And, like, <laughs> he likes the cut of her jib. So it would be, like... Oh, but then, like, then, then he likes her because she reminds him of Jack. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and he's rarity in the shift regard. He commissions of these two ponies. He's, like, that's... Not, not rarity. Excuse me. I misspoke. He's um Twilight Sparkles and the Applejack. Twilight Sparkle shipping art he commissions because that's like he's like that that horse is me and then he gets <laughs> and the he gets that little pony art commission and it's on the co-workers bulletin board and Jack's like what's this doing here and Jerry's like don't worry about it I mean do, do, do you think Jerry wouldn't have like a pony sona um yeah yeah of course he would but like he can't he can't <laughs> Show Jack their pony son is making out just yet. <laughs> he has to wait till Jack's on his deathbed for that. Because he <laughs> yeah. thinks that it'll cause too much negativity in the world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> He's done the math on this. <laughs> What's Jerry's cutie mark? Oh, that's good. Well, it'd have to be something math, wouldn't it? It's a bomb. It's, like, it's, a, it's a pipe bomb. Oh. <laughs> That's really. <laughs> Should I be concerned about that? Don't even worry about it now. Jackson is a is a like a like a gas station pump. Like a... oh, definitely. You okay? Wednesday. Oh yes, Hello? I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine. I was thinking <laughs> Sorry, about it. You, you, you were totally silent. I was like, oh fuck! Did Wednesday drop the call? No, no. I was thinking about. I was thinking about. <laughs> Spencer's? Oh, well, Spencer's would be a knife. That's not even a question. <laughs> yeah, okay. Or like a body bag. Yeah, oh, that's good too. I was, <laughs> I was thinking legitimately about, like, their cutie marks in the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I actually hope that, that Jack Townsend does listen to this and like hey, get this far like yeah up with the way that we dumped on the first two um episodes Please, to get to this point <laughs> i want your opinion on what their cutie marks would be and also Mr. jack townsend please send your input on the cutie marks of your characters thank what you if, bye what if okay what if he listens to it this is a really good sport and we do a q and a where we only ask my little pony based questions <laughs> If anybody knows Mr. Jack Townsend professionally and thinks that he would be up for this, um, we, we, we would be interested in talking to him. Yeah. 
specifically about My Little Pony. That brought me to mind. Um, n- not to go back to his <laughs> lesser moments that yeah. he that he shouldn't be judged for anymore because we've decided that he is uncancelled because of how good Halloween was. Yeah, this was like several years ago. <laughs> like, Death at the Gas Station having this whole thing where it's it's like a it's it's, it's very like Moffity. It's very like you know, supernatural Eric Kripke, like, making fun of fans, having the death kidnapper be an obsessive fan who is, like... Why is he so fat? Why did you do that? Like, a gay sex criminal who is obsessed with, like, erotic fan fiction of the gas station crew because, oh my god, you guys, isn't fan fiction so gross and weird? And he makes them, like super fat as well yeah yeah makes him comically fat makes him like a a gross gay person yeah (laughs) like not i'm i'm wagging my finger that wasn't very good yeah yeah tisk tisk disappointed (laughs) in you for that one but you've redeemed yourself yeah so hopefully you'll keep being considered (laughs) there if spencer comes back in bedside manner you may get into heaven (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we got the scales going. Like, <laughs> we are weighing your soul against the feather, my friend. <laughs> well, it looks like we're going to wrap it up there for tonight. Let us know your thoughts on Tales from the Gas Station. Give us a like and share us with your friends. Next episode, we finish our discussion of Gas Station with Bedside Manor. This has been the Creepypasta Book Club. Thank you, and good night.